listen to this portion of the story of God as it is written in the library that breathes life from the 18th chapter of Genesis. God appeared to Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent. It was the hottest part of the day. Abraham lifted his eyes and saw three men nearby. He ran from his tent to greet them and bowed before them. He said, Master, if it please you, stop for a while with your servant. I'll get you some water so you can wash your feet. Rest under this tree. I'll get some food to refresh you on your way since your travels have brought you across my path. They said, certainly, go ahead. Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. He said, hurry, get three cups of our best flour, knead it, and make bread. Then Abraham ran to the cattle pen and picked out a nice plump calf and gave it to the servant who lost no time in getting it ready. Then he got curds and milk, brought them with the calf that had been roasted, set the meal before the men, and stood there under the tree while they ate. The men said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? He said, in the tent. One of them said, I'm coming back. I'm coming back about this time next year. When I arrive, your wife Sarah will have a son. Sarah was listening at the tent opening just behind the man. Abraham and Sarah were old by this time, very old. Sarah was far past the age for having babies. Sarah laughed within herself. An old woman like me get pregnant with this old man of a husband? God said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh saying, me, have a baby, an old woman like me? Is anything too hard for God? I'll be back about this time next year, and Sarah will have a baby. Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh because she was afraid. But he said, yes, you did. You laughed. When the men got up to leave, they set off for Sodom. Abraham walked with them to say goodbye. The story of God told for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In the early 1930s, the remains of three clay tablets containing roughly 650 lines of poetry were discovered among the ancient ruins of Ugarit in what is now Syria. These tablets contain part of a 3,400-year-old Canaanite myth known as the Epic of Akkad. Part of the ancient Epic of Akkad relays the story of Danul, a childless, righteous ruler who petitions the gods for a son. Eventually, divine representatives traveling through Danul's town are shown great hospitality, and Danul and his wife prepare the strangers a meal of cooked lamb. Ultimately, Danul and his wife are granted a son. The story of Danel and his wife in the epic of Akkad, much like this story of Abraham and Sarah found in Genesis, is built around what is known as a theophany. A theophany is an encounter between the divine and the human. It's an appearance of God to a person or group of people. Theophanies were a common occurrence in ancient Near Eastern literature as many stories were told of humans encountering the gods or the messengers of the gods. Coming forward from the ancient Canaanite and Israelite stories, there are even parallels in Greek literature, theophanies that include three gods in human form visiting a childless host and granting them a child. 
these theophanies, these stories of encountering and receiving divine strangers are found in many cultures and ancient writings. Now, more often than not, these theophany stories are more abstract or playful with the specifics about God than we might prefer. As modern Western thinkers, we may come to a theophany like the one in Genesis 18 and find ourselves frustrated over the fuzzy nature of the divine details. We want to make sense of it all. Who were these three travelers? Was one of the strangers God, like God and two angels? Or were all of the strangers God? Are Christians supposed to read the Trinity into this story, even though the doctrine of the Trinity would not exist for centuries? Doesn't this story say that God is with Abraham before the visitors arrive? Who were these strangers? Which one is God? Where is God supposed to be? The identity of who is speaking to Abraham and Sarah in this story bounces around from God to all of the visitors to one of the visitors and back to God. It's extremely difficult to follow who everyone really is. It's as if our vision is blurred. It doesn't all quite fit the way we want it to fit. Biblical scholar Walter Brueggemann warns, warns against making a theophany story like this addressed questions it was never meant to answer. He says who the strangers are or precisely where God is at any given moment is not the point of this story. According to Brueggemann, this story is not told to address questions of the Trinity or what God really looks like. Instead, this theophany offers divine revelation. Though it may appear a little blurry, this theophany is a lens through which we can examine our relationship with God and each other. You know, if we zoom out on the story of Abraham and Sarah to examine the broad strokes, what we see is a couple of people that were pretty much done. They were an elderly, childless couple, most likely discarded, forgotten, and overlooked by everyone else. These folks are not the kind of people anyone would expect to birth something new into the world. They couldn't even wrap their own minds around it. Abraham and Sarah couldn't understand how they would be a part of something miraculous. They didn't fit the mold. What could they possibly do? Furthermore, their journey with God is a journey filled with missteps. Their record is not that good. They rarely get it right. In terms of the biblical narrative, Abraham and Sarah are the original one step forward, two steps back people. Are we really supposed to learn about our relationship with God and each other from these two? Rabbi Nachum Ward Lev says yes. In fact, he describes the stories of Abraham and Sarah as having practical value to us because they show Abraham and Sarah being, at times, troubled and uncertain about how to act, about how to live out their moral responsibility in covenant relationship with this God. Now that is something to which I can relate. I am frequently and presently troubled. 
I am frequently and presently uncertain about how to act. I often misunderstand, misinterpret, or misapply my moral responsibility, and sometimes I just miss it altogether. I need a theophany. As we examine with the blur, this blurry encounter of Genesis 18, of Abraham and Sarah and these strangers, it is important to recognize that the lens through which our forebears have historically viewed this story is the lens of hospitality. These strangers were exposed. They needed help, protection from their environment, sustenance for their journey, and Abraham and Sarah gave it. If you, like me, are troubled and uncertain about how to act, about how to live out our moral responsibility, then this theophany introduces us to unrestrained hospitality, the unrestrained hospitality of Abraham and Sarah. This story begins with Abraham being visited by God, communing with God. Before the three visitors even arrive, Abraham is having a divine experience, and yet he is still keeping his eyes on the horizon, looking for those who may need his help in the heat of the midday desert. He sees three travelers, and he runs to them. Rabbi Nachum Wardlev writes, Abraham immediately turned from his spiritual meditation and ran toward the strangers to beg them to come to his tent to enjoy his food and drink. Chief Rabbi Ephraim Mervis says, it's as if Abraham says, God, yes, you're talking to me, but could you hold on a moment, please? Don't leave, just hang on, please, because I have to look after these strangers. Right out of the gates, I'm a bit unsettled by this unrestrained hospitality. I don't know that I would do this. I'm not sure I've ever done this. Have I ever been communing with God, having an experience with the divine, and told God to hang on so I can go take care of some strangers? In my modern mind, these are two separate acts. I pray, I study, I worship, all in an effort to commune with the divine, to develop my relationship with God. Then, when that's over, hopefully, I engage in acts of service and caring for others. But that doesn't sound like unrestrained hospitality, does it? Sounds more like scheduled hospitality at the right time and place. The ancient biblical interpretations of the Talmud state that hospitality to wayfarers is greater than welcoming the divine presence. But I can't say that when my eyes have been closed in prayer, focused in study, or raised in worship, that they have simultaneously been trained on the horizon, scanning for strangers in need of help. And even if they were, would I really abandon my prayer, ask God to hold on while I took care of someone else? For that matter, Abraham and Sarah don't simply take care of these strangers the way that I do when someone needs my help. Abraham runs to them, bows before them, honors them, invites them in. Abraham and Sarah prepare and offer the best that they have in food and drink with urgency. 
and expediency, extending the strangers all courtesy and freedom, behaving as though this is a matter of life and death. This is a pretty high bar for serving others, seeming to abandon communion with God in order to offer everything they have to strangers. Chief Rabbi Mervis says that is precisely the point. When we are on the lookout for fellow human beings to help, it's part of our relationship with God. He says our concern for others and our responsibility toward them is interwoven into our connection to God. When Abraham ran toward those strangers, he wasn't leaving God behind. He took God with him. By engaging the strangers and showing them blessing, Abraham and Sarah were connecting with God in a very deep and special way. In other words, communing with God and caring for strangers are not separate activities. They are connected. They are one in the blurry reorientation of this theophany. Is God communing with Abraham before the strangers arrive? Or is God among the strangers that Abraham serves? This story answers yes. It's worth noting that this is the first story after Abraham and Sarah accept and engage a covenant with God. In that covenant, that relationship promise, God tells Abraham and Sarah they will have descendants as numerous as the stars and that through them all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, their first action is to step into that covenant by caring for strangers. As Rabbi Nahum Ward Lev writes, hospitality for the strangers is at the heart of the covenant to which Abraham and his descendants are called to pursue the well-being of people who are not within one's family or clan. Herein lies another lens of this theophany. It's not just what Abraham and Sarah do. It's also what they do not do. Abraham and Sarah do not qualify the strangers. There is no categorization, no judgment as to their worthiness. There are no questionnaires or minimum requirements for hospitality. The strangers are not examined as to their need or even their ability to provide for themselves. They are not measured by their tribe or their allegiances. No one asks them of their faith or ideology. No one even asks the travelers where they came from. They are seen, valued, and treasured simply as being among all the families of the earth, those who Abraham and Sarah are called to be a blessing. Abraham and Sarah do not conduct a transaction with the strangers. Their hospitality is not offered in exchange for something. There is no apparent expectation of anything in return. What is given is given freely and received in complete freedom. And Abraham and Sarah do not proselytize the strangers. There is no attempt to convert or indoctrinate these travelers. Abraham and Sarah do not even talk about their new covenant with a God who, according to this story, is with them in the camp. 
Friends, I must confess that the differences between how Abraham and Sarah care for strangers and how I care for strangers are troubling. I need a theophany. One of the perks of my job is that I get to regularly participate in biblical and spiritual dialogues with folks that are experiencing homelessness and folks who are wrestling with addiction. Over the years, those dialogues have dealt with the stories of Abraham and Sarah numerous times. Usually when we talk about Abraham and Sarah and the covenant through which they will be a blessing to all the families of the earth, we'll ask the group a question. What does it mean to bless someone? Dialogue participants are invited to shout out their definitions of blessing as Chris Estes and Ryan Jacobson and I try to write down every response, filling a dry erase board with their answers. And we get a lot of answers. But each time we ask this question, the same responses arise, answers that every group shouts out when they are asked to define what it means to bless someone. Answers like listening, sharing a meal, accepting, offering shelter, praying, giving resources, forgiving, showing compassion. We should recognize the unrestrained hospitality of Genesis 18 in these answers as they describe exactly how Abraham and Sarah show up. But there's something else that's interesting about those dialogues. In all of our years of asking folks, what does it mean to be a blessing? What does it mean to bless someone? Not once has anyone equated blessing with converting with proselytizing, with telling people where they're wrong, or encouraging people to think, behave, or believe in a certain way. No one in our dialogues have ever has ever confused those actions for blessing. And neither, apparently, did Abraham and Sarah. Like I said, the differences between my hospitality and the unrestrained hospitality offered by Abraham and Sarah are troubling. I am prone to qualify the people that I decide to help. I frequently measure strangers by their tribe and allegiances. I can very easily apply filters, judgments, and categories that let me dismiss strangers as unworthy of my assistance. It's very easy for me to tell people where they're wrong and how it would be better if they thought, believed, or behaved differently. And if I do take action to help someone, I'm tempted to look for reciprocation, for gratitude, or for an indication that the stranger will now become more like me, maybe choose my God or join my church. To be honest, I don't usually scan the horizon for strangers when I'm communing with God. I don't usually scan the horizon for strangers, period. My relationships, especially my relationships with strangers, are usually what Rabbi Nachum Lev calls imperial relationships. In his book, The Liberating Path of the Hebrew Prophets, 
Wardlev writes, one essential fault in imperial relationships is a lack of responsiveness or reciprocity. People with privilege can feel entitled to receive from others without a responsibility to give back, entitled to receive without concern for the welfare and flourishing of other people. I need a theophany. And the thing is, I think this story is trying to tell me that I have one, that I've always had one. The creation poem of Genesis 1 describes humanity as created in the image of God, male and female. Strangers bear the divine image. The creation poem of Genesis 2 reveals a loving creator who breathes the divine breath into dirt in order to form humanity. Outsiders carry within them the spirit breath of God. The covenant into which God calls Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 12 is to become a family that will bless all the families of the earth. No one is unworthy of hospitality and assistance. And if that's not enough, the theophany of Genesis 18, Abraham and Sarah welcoming and serving strangers in the desert, further blurs the line of where God is. Is God in my private communion, my prayer, study, and worship? Yes. Is God in the very outsiders and wayfarers that need help? Yes, this theophany is certain about that. What is uncertain is whether or not I can see it. Will I scan the horizon for those who need help? Will I run out to them and invite them in? Will I care for them, listen to them, accept them, share a meal with them, offer them shelter, give them resources and show them compassion regardless of whether their behavior or worldview disturbs me? Will I quiet my heart in order to feel their humanity and our kinship? Will I do all of this in humility without trying to garner influence, acknowledgement, or reciprocation? Friends, I don't need a theophany. I have one. I don't need an encounter of the divine that invades my space and time to remind me who I really am. It's all around me, right here, right now. All I have to do is lift up my eyes. There are carriers of the divine breath suffocating and being suffocated in our streets. There are divine image bearers being crushed under the weight of our systems. Our hospitals are filled with the sick and isolated. Our shelters overflow with the homeless and hungry. The oppressed 
and endangered are crying out for our help. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs says, we let God into the world and ourselves to the degree that we forget ourselves and focus on others. Do I really have something more important to do? Not according to this story. According to this story, I should leave God in the tent in order to find God in the stranger. My theophany is in them. May we raise our eyes and scan the horizon remembrance of our forebearers, Abraham and Sarah. May we run to the stranger in the name of a line-blurring God who is both with us and within us. May we bow in humility before the weary with the presence of the Christ that has called us. And may we offer all that we have for others by the power of the spirit breath that unites us. As we do, like Abraham and Sarah before us, we will bear witness to the birth of something miraculously new. And in the words of the stranger, Is anything too hard for God?